Beyond Synth, Season 7, Sequence Commencing in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey there, welcome to the show! My name is Andy Last, and this is episode 186? Yeah. Sorry, I always act surprised because I always forget. Done 186 episodes, man, that's pretty cool. Today on the show is the return of Michael Oakley, which is cool. Uh, he has a new album out, which you should go listen to. Now, we recorded this before... He was an announced performer at Outland Toronto, but I'm still going to brand this episode an Outland Toronto 2019 guest. So if you don't know what that is, I'll explain what that is in a little bit. Also on the show today is Adriel. I had a fun chat with her. I was kind of in a silly mood. I think I ended up talking about tea for like five minutes, but uh, and that was good. And we're going to go to that in just a little bit. But first, uh, how about we listen to a song? And get the show started. So here's a fun one from Matt Dahl from the album Night Flight. Or the EP. It's an EP, damn it. Uh, This is Matt Dahl with the track Tears of Another Life. And I should say before that we have some new uh, patrons to Beyond Synth. So I would like to thank new $5 donor Anthony Edwin. You're a cool guy, Anthony Edwin. I'm expecting great things from you. And a, uh, a new donation of the beat, beach. <laughs> a new donation of the beast pledge from Hugh Hefner. That's the triple six. We all love that. New $5 donor, Kevin Taylor. And an, uh, another new... Uh, and another... <laughs> <laughs> and another new donor, Victor Poon, who actually emailed wondering if there is any Beyond Synth pins or patches, which there are not, but we are going to work on that stuff. And I'd like to point out that Jimpy, that's right, that scamp Jimpy, has upgraded his support. Jimpy's a special guy. And I should also point out that William Stewart has upgraded his support. To the 6969. That's a lot of 69s, William Stewart. I hope you're proud of yourself. I'm proud of you. Uh, anyways, listen, you people are all awesome, especially William Stewart. But uh, th- <laughs> uh, but thank you all for supporting Beyond Synth. Now let's listen to this awesome song from Matt Dahl. This is Tears of Another Life. Yeah. 
forget you. Tears of Another Life by Matt Dahl. Now he is part of Video Video, and I've been trying to get Video Video on the show. However, listening to that, it's very Video Video e, if you know what I'm trying to say. So the question is: Is Video Video just some sort of Matt Dahl project? Do I only need to talk to Matt Dahl? See, I feel like I got to talk to all of them because I really love Video Video, and if you haven't heard that stuff, it's great. But uh, anyway. But this song was uh, was good too, man. I like I like cool songs, and uh, yeah, and that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. I forgot to mention that there's a new twenty five dollar donor, Kemsen, and I recognize that because that was Kemsen Games back in the day. So hey, Kemsen, thanks for uh, supporting the show. So uh, for my Patreon supporters and my just regular, what do I call the people who? For people who don't like to support the show on Patreon, there's also the PayPal button on the website. I don't know what to call you guys. I just lump everybody in as Pattersons. So for the past two weeks, normally I edit the episodes over the weekend, 
well, over the week and the weekend, and then I release them a few days early for the Patreon supporters. Now, obviously, I haven't done that the past few weeks because I've literally been <laughs> editing these shows like an hour before I post them online. What I'm doing right now, just for anyone who cares, is I'm really trying to build up the Twitch channel. So um, the past few weeks, I've just been preparing graphics and doing tests here and there, which you can see at uh, Beyond Synth. Twitch, which is what, twitch.tv slash beyond synth, and I keep on sort of uh, making new graphics and doing tests and stuff like that. So the idea is, if this works, that I think I'm going to no longer broadcast Beyond Synth this show on Twitch... Because it's essentially just playing the, the file that you're going to hear a few days later. But I really want to get a weekly stream going on Twitch, which is going to be a call-in show, a video call-in show, and also playing video games and stuff like that. So please, if you haven't, follow me on Twitch. It's um, twitch.tv slash beyond underscore synth. And uh, like I said, I want to be doing call-ins so you can add Beyond Synth on Skype and call into the show. I mean, I'll, I'll try and figure out some other options as well. But yeah, that's the plan. Because I want the Twitch broadcast to be something special. Like before, I've just been playing this show and then a few days later, the episode comes out. And I just think it's it makes more sense since Twitch is a video streaming service to actually do something video related on there makes more sense to me so look let's listen to another song and then we will keep going and did i tell you guys that chris dance is the king of the pattersons i probably did right (laughs) hey chris how's it going all right look this track is from la arson that's right this whole time if i've ever played a track by this guy which i have I always called him Elay Arson. He's now also a Patreon supporter. And it turns out it's L.A. Arson. It was a little confusing because it's spelled E-L-A-Y. And so I've always been like, is it Elay? Is it, uh, you know? So it's L.A. Arson. All right? So get that in your heads. L.A. Arson. And we're going to play an L.A. Arson song right now. And it's brought to you by my uh, awesome Patreon supporters, Jose Arbello, who I talked to on Twitch the other day. He was sort of explaining what he wants to do with network building or something. I, uh... (laughs) The information is above my pay grade. My brain has difficulty with technical information. But uh, all the power to you, Jose Arbello. And, of course, L.A. Arson. Thank you for supporting the show. And look, we're going to listen to your song right now, buddy. So here is Hotline L.A. by L.A. Arson.
And that was Hotline L.A. from L.A. Arson from the album Borrowed Memories. So go check it out. Remember, all the artists that are featured on the show, all their links are on the SoundCloud page. Or if you end up listening on YouTube a few months later, like... (laughs) the 10 other people that do. Uh, The links are all there, too. Don't forget to support all the artists that I feature on the show. And that, of course, was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters, Jacob Wick! How's it going, Jacob? I feel like I haven't heard from you in a while. Hope you're doing all right with the 4488 and City Hunter with the 42. You're a cool guy. City Hunter! I've been working on some Patreon graphics for Twitch. No one cares. Twitch, Twitch, Twitch. Yeah, so I was going to say earlier that Outland Toronto is a synth event that is being held by the dudes who put on the Outland shows. Most of the time they're in Europe, but this one is coming to Toronto in July. I think it's July 6th and the 7th. And it's got a lot of cool guests. And uh, Michael Oakley will be one of the performers, along with uh, Dana Jean Phoenix and Mecha Mako and Parallels. They're sort of like leading up the Toronto contingent. And then there's European guests. Do I say, or just guests from Europe? Uh, there's going to be Kallax, Time Cop 1983, and FM Attack is going to be there too. And like I said, I put out a playlist on SoundCloud of all my shows featuring interviews with the performers who are going to be at Outland, and I'm going to catch up with everybody before the event. So expect some shows in the next few months with catch-ups with all of the artists who are going to Outland. So we'll actually talk about preparing for the show and stuff like that and i'll finally have fm attack on the show because we've never chatted so that should be good if you like good shows like i do so uh let's listen to another song here and then maybe we'll go uh, chat with adriel and this one of course is brought to you by my awesome uh patreon supporters oh hold on you know who i forgot to mention there's a few people because i always forget my other list <laughs> but uh dev jock thank you dev jock he sent in a a lovely donation via the the paypal he's a paypal donor i don't hate when i see the word donor at the end it sounds like i'm talking about like blood donors or something which by the way you can you can send in to beyond synth if you <laughs> send me your blood uh no i'm just kidding but uh, dev jock is a really cool guy and i want to thank you for supporting a lot of people supporting with 69 is that some sort of a joke do you think this show is a joke do you think the word 69 is funny furthermore do you think the number 69 is funny Please write in and let me know, because I don't get it. People keep on, on the streets, I'll walk down the street and people be like, Hey buddy, 69! And they like, do some weird hand gesture, and I'm like, I don't get it. <laughs> Please don't explain it to me, I, <laughs> I do get it. Um, and also, Angelo Taylor. Angelo Taylor is a, is a really cool guy as well. I like him. And now, let's listen to a song. Uh, this is from Netrunner, from the album Episode 2, this is Soul Killer.
And that was Soul Killer by Netrunner off the album Episode 2, which I believe is a sequel to Episode 1. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters, Lucas Ceballos with the 2666. Ha! And Clint Dowling in the $25 Club along with Honeybeard. You should go listen to the music of Honeybeard. They're in the uh, Toronto land as well, and they've made some cool tracks that played on the show, so go check them out. Um, That's what I would do if I were you. If you're wondering why my voice sounds cool today, it's because I'm recording this at very... I literally woke up, I got out of bed, realized that the show is supposed to be out in a few hours, and I haven't finished it. So, maybe I should record the show like this every day. Right out of bed. Wake up, turn on the microphone. Hi. Welcome to the show. I think that sounds pretty cool. Let's go uh, chat with Adriel right now. All right. Well, I'm here with Adriel. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. Is that how you say that? Yeah, uh, Adriel. You say Adriel. Yeah. Shit. Well, that means I've said it wrong when I've played your tracks on the show before. It's okay. People call me Ariel. People call me Adrian. Well, those people don't seem like they're reading the name right. <laughs> yeah, that's I true. Tried. <laughs> Those people, like, they're wrong for more than one reason. You go like, where's the N, idiot? That's what I would say. Anyway, so Adriel. Okay, well, uh, let me start this again. Okay. And I am here with Adriel. How's it going? Good. How are you? (laughs) I'm great. Cool. Yeah, I got my tea here. It's a little too hot to drink. I've sweetened it with stevia. That's awesome. What kind of tea are you drinking? Just, you know, orange pico, the regular shit. Breakfast tea. Okay. Is breakfast tea orange pico or is that something else? You know, I've never heard of that before. You never heard of orange pico? No. Orange pico is like default tea. You know, it's like if you buy tea any place, I feel like orange pico is the tea you get unless you specifically ask for like herbal tea or something. Interesting. Yeah. Is it a brand or is it an actual flavor? Good fucking question. Hold on. Let's go to the fucking research department here. It's just, it's like, uh, you know, if you go buy Tetley tea, you have the brand Tetley in the States. That's not a Canadian thing, is it? I think I've heard of that before. Anyway, (laughs) there's tea and, uh, hold on, I'm typing it in. Orange Pico. All right, here we go. In the tea industry, tea leaf grading is the process of evaluating products based on the quality and condition of the tea leaves themselves. The highest grades for Western and South Asian teas are referred to as orange pico. Oh, so it's a it's a grade of tea. Interesting. Okay. So then what is the actual tea itself? Hmm. Yeah, because normally there's like black tea, there's white tea, there's green tea, there's... It must be black tea then. What is normal tea? Like, you know, if you just went to a place and said, can I have a tea? That would be black tea. Okay, then that's what this is. It's black tea. Or herbal, because I mean, but there's different kinds of herbal tea. So it's like, well, then they would ask you what kind of herbal tea. Yeah, good question. It must be black then. I guess it's black tea. It's, uh, it also says Orange Pico redirects for the Japanese jazz band Orange Pico. Hmm, let's learn about them. Have you ever had any kombucha? Kombucha. Is that that green shit? It's like powdery green stuff? So it's made with green tea or black tea, but it's fermented. Is kombucha the stuff that's supposed to be like really good for you, but you have to get the good stuff or else it's gross tasting? Or am I thinking of something else? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Back to Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here we are. Kombucha. Am I spelling it wrong? Anyway, look, let's talk about your music here. What I'm... (laughs) What am I doing? Enough about tea. 
you can tell me a bit about yourself while I type in kombucha into um Oh, it's kombucha. Yes. It's a tea. Oh, okay, no, this isn't what I was thinking of. I was thinking of this green powdered tea that's supposed to be like some, you know, every few months there's like a new miracle health thing. Okay. What am I thinking of? Matcha. Yeah, I've heard of that before. I don't think I've ever tried it before, though. It's supposed to be really gross. I think it's like it's it, people say like it has like health benefits, but you know people say that about a lot of things. Interesting. Yeah, we. Were <laughs> I'll have to try it someday. Yeah, I haven't tried it yet. I saw some on Amazon, but then I was reading all the reviews and like they were all negative, and they're all just like, "Man, this isn't the real kind of matcha." When I go to Chinatown and go get my matcha, it's fucking better than this. And I'm like, "All right, so I'm not gonna get any." <laughs> I don't even know why the hell I must have just seen it on a podcast or something. Anyway, so, Adriel, how are you today? I'm doing good. How are you? I am doing okay. So, let's dive in here and talk about music and stuff, although we can talk about tea for another (laughs) (laughs) two hours or whatever. That's very interesting for people. I came across your tunes a few years ago. With this show, I usually gravitate more towards like the electronic side of things. Right. right. And you had uh, some singles that I enjoyed uh, that were, you know, electronic and stuff like this. But so how long have you been making music for? Maybe like 15 years since high school. I mean, I learned the guitar and the piano at like a young age. And then I decided I didn't want to play what people were telling me to play. (laughs) So I was like, I kind of want to write my own stuff. And I had poetry that I'd written. So I just started out like putting music to poetry. And then I kind of just like learned, I don't know if you remember a program called Acid on like Windows 3.1. So I kind of just like taught myself and then like taught myself Fruity Loops and just kind of went from there. And that kind of got me more into like electronic music. What version of Fruity Loops did you start with? Uh, I don't know, the free one. (laughs) You know, because they're on fucking 20 now. I don't know. Maybe it was like seven or six or something you know what though once you actually pay that stupid company they give you free copies of it for life i think like it was like 10 years ago or something i'm like ah, whatever i'll just pay for it it's not that expensive of a program and then they still send me new versions like today oh wow that's pretty cool yeah it is cool <laughs> anyway, look, let's listen to a, a track here and then we'll uh, we'll keep talking. Cool. This was one I dug of yours. It's called The Shoreline. And uh, we're going to listen to that right now. This is The Shoreline by Adriel. But it- 
that was The Shoreline by Adriel. And I'm here with Adriel right now. How's it going? Good. I guess talk to me about that one. I originally wrote that song on the piano. It was actually on my first EP that I put out and it was just me, like vocals and the piano. So later on, I decided that I wanted to re-record it. I went to... um a friend's studio in Baltimore and he he engineered and helped me produce the song and um, that's kind of like what came out of it because I wanted it to be more electronic more like dream poppy I guess so it was basically like a redo <laughs> do you have like more of those sorts of tracks that you worked on before that you want to uh, breathe new life into like later on yeah you know I have a lot of older songs that I kind of want to go back and redo just because I felt like it definitely needed something else other than just like vocals and piano or vocals and guitar you know mm-hmm. it could just be spiced up a little bit more as far as like the vision or the sound that i really wanted to go for where do you normally record your stuff then like do you always go to like the same sort of studio place or do you have some sort of setup at your where you are or how does that work yeah so right now i i have like a small little studio in my apartment i mean i've worked at several different studios in the past so it's kind of like it's kind of morphed, you know, the places I've worked. Do you scope the places out when you're in them and go like, I'm going to get one of those one day and one of those looking at all the machines? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the space, the space still matters, but it is really cool what you can do now just on a computer. Have you ever seen... <laughs> One day Amazon was advertising this to me. They advertised a voiceover people, but it's like a box that has, you know, the soundproof foam inside of it that you're meant to sort of like stick your head in. No. So you, so you can <laughs> record cool yourself in, in isolation, right? So if you can't have a whole like isolated room with like sound foam everywhere, you can basically put your head in a box <laughs> like this the microphone is no that's that's pretty funny <laughs> yeah it looks very foolish i was thinking like i why i would buy one because i could probably just make myself like just right right get a big box from like the grocery store and then just fill it with foam and put my head in it yeah that's true <laughs> <laughs> So when you were making that EP or whatever, like, what's your actual setup in terms of, like, the gear you use and stuff? I mean, like, when you're making electronic music, is it all, you know, like, VSTs and stuff, like, in the program? Or do you have, like, some synths or... Yeah, like, right now, it's mostly MIDI stuff. I recently moved, actually, I moved across the country, so I'm basically starting over. I've also decided that I like working with MIDI. There's so many different options. You know, right now, it's just like a Logic setup with a MIDI keyboard and then my vocal setup. But I also... And, you know, eventually would like to start recording instruments, like different types of instruments, kind of like strange stuff like the harp or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you play a harp? No, but... I want to get one and learn. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've done, uh, like, you have done some live performance stuff, right? Yes. So when you do that, is it more like singer-songwriter, like lady with a guitar kind of stuff? Yeah, so it's kind of morphed over the years. I used to do a lot of stuff with just me and the keyboard. I mean, I've done some electronic stuff, too, like with a loop pedal and, like, drum machine and things like that. And then just like me and the guitar as well. But I've kind of taken a break from live performance in the past couple of years, but that's something that I want to get back into and have like a full electronic live performance. But I just have to kind of figure out like, how am I going to do that? Because I really find that like when you write electronic music, it's hard to figure out how to perform live unless it's something like Ableton or if you have a laptop. Most people I know who are doing live performance now I think Ableton seems to be the go-to. Yes. The Ableton live setup. The only thing that it always kind of makes me nervous because I have seen a few 
<laughs> you know, performances where like stuff went wrong. Right. When the laptop contains everything that's special. Like it crashes. <laughs> it's always the, the fear that's always in my head whenever I see live performance, especially with like music in the uh, in the synthwave scene and stuff, because it's often people who don't always have a full band, you know, like it is right. one or two people and there's a lot of laptops involved and I'm, I'm watching them when they're performing. And if their laptop's sitting on like a shaky table or something, I'm just like, oh no, <laughs> yeah. you know, like it, it stresses me out. Yeah, that's one thing that I've thought of too, because I, you know, what if the laptop crashes and you just lose everything and then you can't really continue if everything's contained on a laptop? But it's still really cool how like you can do stuff like that, like with um the controllers and, and, and MIDI and stuff. But I definitely prefer like hardware. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's something nice about like if things shut off, you might still be able to actually do something. Right, right. That's the, that's the, <laughs> that's the nice thing. Well, look, uh, let's listen to another track and then we'll uh, keep talking. Cool. Um, I think this one was, was this from the same EP? This is a track called Kiss the Daylight, but this is the Silence remix. Whoever that is. Who is Silence? that just some guy that's my friend mike baker he does a lot of like electronic music as well i like i like the way uh well we'll listen to the song then we'll talk about yeah Uh, this is uh kiss the daylight by adriel the silence remix
And that was Kiss the Daylight by Adriel, the Silence Remix. That's a capital L and a capital C. And that's a cool one. Yeah, he did an awesome job. Um, he did another remix of mine as well. And yeah, he, he has some really good stuff. So like, how do you know that dude? You know, I don't even remember how we met. <laughs> we met several years ago. And I think it was through a friend. And he was getting into like DJing. And so he had a bunch of DJ equipment. And he was kind of he was showing me like, because I never really looked into like how DJs DJ sure. <laughs> with matching BPM and things like that. And so he was kind of just showing me how, you know, things went. And like, he had written some music before. And he was like, I'd like to remix some of your songs. So I was like, yeah, sure. So you just said you relocated. Yes. So are you in like warm weather place now or cold weather place? I'm in a warm weather place, <laughs> Southern California. Ooh, is that exciting? Yes, it is. There's a lot of people here. <laughs> what what uh, prompted you to make the move? I moved from Maryland. I'd lived there my whole life. And then I moved out to California for a job. Actually, I was working for a company, a nonprofit organization. We were traveling around the country. So I was basically living on the road for a year um, out of a suitcase. So I had sold all my stuff and just had a suitcase and moved out here. And I was going into schools, going basically from city to city to city, talking to kids about bullying and right choices and goal setting and things like that. We would set up assembly programs and then basically the kids would come into a gym and we would talk to all the kids and, and show like music clips, video clips, things like that. And uh, I did that for a whole year. And then in the process, I actually met my husband. So I decided to stay in California because I didn't know what I was going to do after a year. We had met and then I was like, you know, what? I'm not going to go back to Maryland. And so and I figured, you know, out here is definitely a good place to be as a musician because there's a lot more opportunity than there was where I was living. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to stay. So I just moved out. Did you do those things in front of the, the assemblies where you like act out scenarios? It was an interactive assembly. So we would we would talk to them, but it wasn't like any like acting or stuff like that. Oh, that's too bad. Did you ever do that thing where you go like, hey, everybody point to the bully and like everyone in the audience like points to the one kid? <laughs> uh, No. <laughs> That's what I would do. I guess that's why I don't do that. I don't know if the public shaming technique works. Yeah, I don't know if that would be good. Wait, so how long were you doing the uh, the bullying thing for? It was actually a year contract. I just signed up for a year. And then after, you know, the year was up, I had to go somewhere. So I was like, I'm just going to stay in uh, California. Why did you do that in the first place? Um, Are you a good person? What was that? <laughs> I just asked you if you were a good person. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I guess. Maybe. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I'm an idiot. I don't actually think before I say things. Um. <laughs> I thought it was a really good cause. Like, first of all, the travel was attractive. And then the fact that it was for a good cause and making a difference in other people's lives. I'm definitely a firm believer in like work should be something that is either like making a difference or helping people or I mean, not that it always has to be that way, but I'm just saying for myself, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like fulfilling. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I just, I found it that way. And uh, it was like probably the best job I've had in my life. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool. Oh, it's good to feel good about what you do. Yeah. I feel terrible about what I do. <laughs> so what? That's not good. <laughs> Obviously you live in a different place now. So was like Maryland really boring? 
Or did you enjoy Maryland? I don't know anything about Maryland. So I was living in Baltimore and it's actually a really cool city. It's like an hour from DC. It's like an hour from Philly and then like two and a half to three hours from New York City. So like you can kind of go anywhere. You can go to the mountains, you can go to the ocean. So it's centrally located, but I felt like specifically where I lived, I was doing a lot of music stuff out there. Like I was playing in piano bars and I was doing a lot of touring in the region, but I kind of felt like nothing was happening, I guess. It was kind of the same thing over and over again. So I felt like there wasn't really a lot of opportunities, but it's a really cool city. I mean, it's like a small town, but like it's a big city, you know what I mean? Mm. A lot of people that live in Baltimore or that have been born and raised there, they don't ever leave. I've talked to some people that have moved from like the West Coast to Maryland and they're like, Baltimore people are weird because they never leave. Yeah. <laughs> like they just stay there their whole lives. And I'm like, yeah, I know that is weird. Maybe I should get out of here. <laughs> so you're breaking the mold. Is that what you're doing? Yeah. Well, how about this? Let's listen to another song and then I'm going to type in the uh, population of Maryland and I'm going to test you to see if you know what it is. Okay. So here is a track. This is a cool one. So this is a more recent thing. This is called Black Car by Adriel.
that was Adriel with the track Black Car. And I'm here with Adriel right now talking about making a difference and putting on performances and moving across country and people from Baltimore. Now watch this. I'm going to type in Maryland population. What do you think it is as of 2017? Two million. It says six million. Is that true? Oh, wow. Maryland is that big? What is Maryland? Is that a state or? It's a tiny state. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes more sense. I was like. That's the whole state. (laughs) Okay, good. All right. I don't know why that was so confounding. All right. So you're wrong. You said two million. So you you lose the game. (laughs) Tell the people what they should do in the case that they are a child being bullied. Do they need to talk to an adult? Do they need to report the incident? Tell somebody. That's the most important thing. And then kick the bully's ass, right? Well, we don't want to tell them that. (laughs) Yeah, tell somebody. Tell an adult. Tell a teacher. Tell a parent. See, my advice would be to follow the bully home with a phone book and beat him with it. (laughs) Do they still make phone books? That is a very good question. Yes. I think I have a phone book. I have a landline. Can you believe that? Really? Uh Uh-huh. I even had a Hotmail address until about a year ago. I didn't know Hotmail was still around. No, no one did either. <laughs> they they just treat me like a super old man. I'm like, I'm not a young guy, but I mean, I, I got rid of it. Okay, I'm using my Gmail now, but I still get a phone book. Although that must be going away. That has to be. Yeah, I think phone books are like for people that don't have computers, but mostly everybody has computers. Well, then we'll track the bully down and beat him with an IKEA catalog. <laughs> I mean, we get a lot of junk mail, so you can always just wrap up a bunch of junk mail into, like, a a bat or something. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you do in your free time? Like, what do you do for fun when you're not uh, making tunes and things? I like to be outside. I like to surf, and I also go to a rock climbing gym. Are you good at it? Yeah, like, I like it because it's it's like a challenge. You have to figure out the different routes and how you would you would actually climb them. You're having to figure it out in your head, and then you're having to figure out how to position your body to get to the top. I think that that's, like, really cool because it's, like, mental, but it's also physical, you know? Have you discovered new fun things to do in your new... In your new home? It's actually been really fun, just like kind of exploring the different things to do. It's definitely, I mean, Southern California, there's, it's so, it's such a big area that it's hard to go out of your own little community because it's, the traffic is so bad. But (laughs) in my own little town, it's been pretty cool. Like, I mean, there's like a lot of bike trails and we're right by the beach. So that's awesome too. See, I'm in Toronto, so we're in the middle of a fucking snowstorm right now. Oh yeah. I don't miss that. Mm. Baltimore usually got a lot of snow, and then it was really humid in the summers. Yeah, if that's where Maryland is, I'm looking at a map here. That's the East Coast. My uh, American geography is terrible, and so oftentimes when I'm uh, coordinating with guests from the States, I'm always assuming they're in some crazy time zone. Like, they'll be like, like, where do you live? And they're like, oh, I'm in Pennsylvania. I'm like, oh, what time zone is that? And I'm trying to figure it out, and I'm like, it's the same (laughs) damn time zone. Like, we're on the same strip. And so I'm slowly going to learn the states that border Canada, so at least then I can do some of that math in my head myself, because I think the states in Canada are the same. We've got like three different or four different time zones like across the entire country okay Uh, (laughs) are you appreciating this time zone lecture i'm giving (laughs) i apologize i have a very stupid show we're gonna listen to another song cool so this is a new one this is called weird by adriel
And that was Adriel with the track Weird. And I'm here with Adriel right now talking about music, mostly me saying a bunch of dumb things and <laughs> you sort of dumbfounded by what's happening. So this is a cool song. It actually kind of reminded me a bit the way you were singing and sort of the effect that was on it. Do you remember Fru Fru? Oh, yeah. That vocal effect sort of reminded me of that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The last two singles that I've released, a lot of people have been, they're like, are you influenced by Imogen Heap? And I like her music, but I've never really like considered her as an influence. Mm. But it's just interesting that people have been saying that, which isn't a bad thing. <laughs> what, what's coming up for you? You you working on some more tunes? Tell me some music-related stuff. Yeah, so this year, I've decided instead of releasing an album all at once, I'm going to re- release a single a month. But several of those singles are going to go into basically like an album at the end. I'm calling it the Playlist Series. So each month that I release a song, it's going to be on a specific topic. And the the focus of it is to bring awareness to like the negative things that we say to ourselves as people and then bringing in like the positive things that you can say to yourself to kind of counteract the negative. I'm going to be hosting discussions on my website. Uh, I have a forum on there and each song is going to be based on a specific topic. So that's kind of like my project for the year. I've been working with some really cool producers So I'm really excited for that, too. What's going to come out of that, too, you know. So this is all about positive affirmation. Is that the thing? You want people to feel good about themselves? More so, like, just more self-awareness. Honest about themselves. Yeah, to bring, like, awareness to, like, what they're saying to themselves. And then where does that come from? Because oftentimes there's a root cause for the negative things that we think. Either it's, like, a past trauma or something that somebody did to us or whatever. And so it's really important to confront those things and then we're able to heal from those things, you know? So this sort of ties back into the bullying thing. See, we can wrap this up nicely. Yeah. <laughs> you did these things, you went out there, you felt good about yourself by telling kids to, you know, uh, stand up for themselves and reject the ideas of bullying and the negative baggage that you'll carry for the rest of your life, you know, if you've been bullied by these people. Right. And now you're turning that into music and you're going to talk about these things. Yeah. Did I, did I do a good job? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It all tied in together well. Yes! Well, anyways, look, I look forward to uh, hearing more music from you. I enjoy your stuff. You got a nice voice. You got uh, a cool sound. And uh, yeah, man, keep on doing stuff and send it to me and I'll play it on the show. Cool. Thank you for having me on the show. All right. It was good talking to you. All right. You too. All right, and that was my chat with Adriel. That was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 Club. There's Eric Dahlberg, Tim Carlton, Johnny Five, and Emilio Estevez. You guys are the best. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. Don't forget to uh, check out her tunes because they're cool. And I like the direction her sound is going, so I imagine the, uh, the new ones will be cool too. I have faith in cool music. So how about this? We got a request here. Jose Arbello, you remember him. He is a very generous uh, patron of Beyond Synth. He has requested a song. You know, if you're like one of the $25 donors, like that's one of the things. Hey, you can request songs. And Jose has requested a song. And he says, here's what I want to listen to. And we're going to listen to it because it's what Jose wants, man. So he said he wanted to hear Daybreak from Immortal Girlfriend. And I'm not going to disappoint him because that's not what I do here. Or maybe it is. I don't know. (laughs) Do many of you find this show disappointing? (laughs) 
All right. Look, here is Immortal Girlfriend with the track Daybreak, just for you, Jose. And that was Daybreak by Immortal Girlfriend, a request from Jose Arbello. And that, of course, was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 Club, Mr. Chris Williams, Kemsen, Joey and Kendra, and Martin Larby. Hope you guys are having a super day like I am. Well, I don't even know if I'm having a super day because it hasn't started. But, well, I guess it started now, right? So a few of you uh, messaged me about my plan I talked about last week about making a fake TV station using my own files. And I should do a shout-out to 
Neon Fox in Toronto because he's helped me do some stuff, especially working with my Android box and getting Cody and stuff because that dude's a very technical guy and he sort of helped me out. So, for those of you who don't know, so I'm trying to do one of those things where I have all of my shows digitized and then what I wanted to have was like a fake TV station because I don't like going on to Netflix or Amazon and having to search for stuff because what happens is I end up wasting a lot of time not making a decision. And so I thought it'd be cool to have all the stuff on like a media drive, but have it so it looks like I'm watching a television station. Now, there is an app, which some people recommended called Pseudo TV, which I tried. I believe it is the thing that I will eventually use, but at the moment, it's not quite user-friendly enough for me because I don't have a lot of time to invest. I was hoping it would just scan my media folder and then just make a bunch of random channels, but it kept on making me click on specific folders and so that it would try and make a channel. So if I clicked on the DuckTales folder, it would just make a channel of DuckTales. And that's not what I want. Like, I want the channels to actually play different shows and so I'll have to do some programming and there might have been something wrong with the way I installed the files as well I might have done them in a wrong order because I I did Cody at the same time and then I installed all the different packages I would need and they don't seem to be behaving properly so in the meantime I'm going to stick with using Plex which is a streaming service where you create sort of like a media server in your house And it's not quite like doing a TV station, but it does replicate. Do you remember when you were young? Did you ever have like a VHS tape, if you're as old as me, where you like recorded your favorite shows? You know, like you recorded an afternoon of like kids cartoons or something. And then you had this tape that was full of like all these random shows with commercials and stuff. So with Plex, at least you can create playlists. So I've been doing that where I basically just take like one episode of each show and I can create like a five hour playlist. Real Ghostbusters, then DuckTales, then Gummy Bears, Transformers, Thundercats, Silverhawks, G.I. Joe, you know, like right now I have enough shows where I can do basically like a five hour playlist where it's just like one episode of each. And I'm, I'm slowly building up and digitizing my catalog. And so it's not like a TV channel, but it is replicating having that old tape that just has a random assortment of shows. So that's what I'm doing right now. And then someone messaged and suggested that I do some crazy ass thing where you have a bunch of computers all running like an instance of VLC player with a playlist. And then you can set it to an IP address so that each channel is a different IP address, like in your house. And then you could actually really like switch to it like a channel. But it means you would have to have like (laughs) a whole bunch of computers like in your basement and each one is like a separate channel, which is a a wacky idea, I guess. That's cool. Well, look, let's listen to another song. This is another request, actually. This one's from Tim Carlton. He says he wants to hear some ogre. And you know I love Ogre because Ogre does the theme song to this show because Robin is a cool guy. Tim Carlton wants to hear Negotiations Over by Ogre. And so do I.
And that was Negotiations Over by Ogre, requested by Mr. Tim Carlton. And that, of course, was brought to you by my other Patreon supporters. In the $25 Club, there's Gregorio Franco, Blake Peterson, and Mike Shima. And Murat with the 1984. All right, well, look, I got to make myself some breakfast. So how about we go and chat with Michael Oakley now? And then someone else has just woken up, so she needs some breakfast, too. Can you say Michael Oakley? Michael. Can you say Oakley? Oakley. Can you say interview? Interview. Can you say, let's go talk to Michael Oakley? Michael Okay, you're still half asleep. <laughs> Okay, we're going to go talk to Michael Oakley now, and I'm going to make some waffles for children. <laughs> what a weird lead-in to an interview. <laughs> well, you know, it's been a few months since you were here last time. Yeah. And now you're here again. Crazy. Yeah, man. I'm here with Michael Oakley in studio again. Just a few scant months. Is scant a word? It's <laughs> a hype. I don't know if it's what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> so someone, someone pulls down your underpants. <laughs> scant. <laughs> Anyways, um, we're here. You have a new album out. I do indeed, yes. Are you excited about it? Nervous and excited. It's a sort of different direction a little bit of what I did with California so I've, I'm just hoping that obviously it'll be res- as well received as California was. It is cold in this room isn't it? Do you want a blanket? No no I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized because I'm, I'm, I'm sort of like doing the hand rubbing thing too and I'm seeing you doing it and uh, unless you want to like huddle by a little fire or something. No no I'm good. I'm good. Yeah no I, I uh, I'd spent a long time working on this album and uh, like all of my songs, they're, they're true stories about my life and me. So I tend not to rush it. I can work on songs for sometimes two, three months just to make sure they get right. I'm quite obsessive about that. Do you focus like one at a time? Like, is that? Yeah, I'm quite linear that way. There was a period at the start of uh, 218 where I was working on two or three tracks at the same time for the album. But I, I kind of find that I, I got to that point where if I was fed up and I just had to leave it for a while because I had been obsessing over it. So I had to move to something else. But most of the time I work quite linear. I, I start a song and I'll just stay with it until I finish it. That was how I did it with california i would just one song at a time and and would do it that way yeah so what does that mean though like we're talking lyrics we're talking oh, instrumentals, all of it like- all of it I, I usually start with the music get the right mood and then from the mood that i've created i'll maybe be out in the car listening to it and that's usually how I, I, the lyrics just kind of tend to come to me mm-hmm. it's kind of weird process because i don't necessarily sit down and say hey, i'm going to write a song what am i going to write about i actually feel a bit like someone else is writing the song and uh, the words just get put in my head and then i just need to write it down and catch it while i'm you know, like a walkie-talkie when you have somebody coming over the other end of it. It's it's a bit like that. It just comes mm. in my head. And like, oh, <laughs> usually I, after writing half of it, I'm like, ah, oh, that's what it's about, and it makes sense because as it's all about, um, it's all about something that I'm going through or whatever, or maybe I've been thinking about it or or I haven't, and I just realise, oh my god, I'm, in my subconscious, I must have been really sort of thinking about that. When it comes to lyrics then, I mean, like, do you have like a book or something? Do you write lyrics or do you 
do you sing like gibberish words when you're listening to the instrumental track like going yeah i do do that i i do that i'll sort of sit and and let a melody line come to me and then once I, i once i've got the phrasing of that that's usually when the right words will come in and sometimes i'll come up with like a sort of maybe dummy few lines just to kind of get it working and then i'll change them later but most of the time i have the whole track finished and i've got a melody line in mind and then it's when i go away in the car and just listen to it and i'm driving and maybe it's because my subconscious gets taken over by the driving part and i'm listening to the music and then it's, it's like you disarm something mm. because what I, I find for me anyway when i sit down and, I, and i'm like right i'm gonna write something nothing happens because i'm so like under i guess uh, the microscope i'm sort of like what am i gonna write about I don't know, and then you sit for about an hour, and then nothing really happens, or you just write a lot of garbage. And but yeah, I find that the best ideas come to me when I'm driving and I'm, I'm sort of focused on something, and then the words just come to me. It's almost like I relax, and it's like a, I don't know, like hypnotized or something. Mm. But you don't want to end up, uh, you know, you're going on like a drive, and then you you end up getting back home and realize you've written a song about like following some lady with yoga pants down the street or something <laughs> like. <laughs> it was just my subconscious, man. It just uh, it took me on a ride. Yeah, well, when I when I was living in Scotland, I had a place that I used to like to drive up to. It was this beautiful place, uh, very scenic. You could look out over the whole city, and I would just sit there at night. And just you'd see all the city lights and and i would just sit with the music on and just kind of stare out and just sort of let it come to me mm-hmm. yeah my meditative place i call it so like what do you find then in lieu of that now that you're sort of in canada have you found a hill to stand on near where you live yeah i uh there's a place around near where i live it's called balls falls and <laughs> <laughs> let's just take a moment for that balls falls <laughs> i am a child <laughs> sorry i'm a child of balls when I when I hear the word balls, it's really hard for me to. Uh... Yeah, so uh, yeah, it's, it's like a mini Niagara Falls, I guess, and it's nice up there. But uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what has became my kind of surrogate place. It's not as nice as the place back home, I must say. It's a, that place is really special to me. I, I wrote all my songs there. But uh, yeah, I mean, I find that's that's how it works. It's a sort of weird spiritual meditative thing writing the lyrics um, but yeah you, I pretty much do it in that order music first the melody line and then once I have that it's uh, the, the lyrics just sort of follow well how about this man let's dive in and mm. I think like last time I'm gonna I'm gonna dive in with my favorite track I did it to you before I'm gonna do it to you again okay because this song's pretty cool I love the the bass line in it man this is called control by Michael Oakley Take a chance 
And that was Control by Michael Oakley. Hi. Hey, man. We're in studio right now. So when you're on the show last time, we sort of got to got to meet you a little bit. Why don't we talk uh, a bit more sort of technical shit this time? Sure. So what's your equipment set up? Uh, I've got a very simple setup. I use uh, a MacBook and a controller keyboard. I've got a sound card, and that is the extent of the hardware. I use Propellerhead Reason to record. Uh, I also use Ableton, depending on what mood I'm in. I might use both of them together. Uh, they both are, are great for different reasons, but yeah, I've been a long-time Propellerhead Reason user. For this album in particular, I used synthesizers like Reveal Sound Spire, Silenth. I like a lot of UVI products, which are Emulation 2, which is a, a software version of classic Emulator 2 keyboard. Depeche Mode used that, and Pet Shop Boys. Uh, mm. And uh, that makes up the main sort of sound sources. I also used uh, some UHE stuff, Diva and uh, Zebra. I used that as well. Korg M1. God, loads. Now, do you record your vocals at your place or do you have a place where you go? Yeah, I record them elsewhere. I've been recording my vocals with uh, a friend of mine's place, Derek. I just don't, I don't like recording my own vocals. I don't like to do my vocals in the same place that I wrote the song. I, I feel like it's almost like getting on stage and performing. I, I like to go away and when I'm about to sing and perform that song, I like to get away somewhere and then really focus in on that and not be having to like, oh, right, I better make sure the, the preamp is at the right setting and make sure the, the compression's just right on it. I, I just don't want to have to do that. I, I just want to focus on the singing performance. So I, I go elsewhere to do my vocals. Yeah, yeah. Does that dude have like a booth? Yeah, he's got a, a wonderful studio that's been great and yeah, I, I go in there, I record, he pushes me. I, I asked him to, you know, if, if he didn't feel like something sounded right, don't be afraid to tell me because I'm I'm all about trying to get the best performance. So is that when you do you eat those lozenges that you were uh, pawning on me last uh. time? <laughs> would you Would you like a vocals? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here, let's rem- reminisce about the last time you were on the show, and we'll just fucking eat some of these. Yeah, I think it was like noises like. <laughs> This is what people wanted with the return of Michael Oakley on the show, is the uh, lozenge vocals, vocals on slurps. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I usually have a, a throat coat tea with honey, and I have a few of those vocals on lozenges. How long can you sing before it's done? For doing that type of thing, probably about two to three hours, mm-hmm. I think. Whenever I'm performing, I'll sing for about three hours, but you get breaks in between and you're singing different songs but when you're singing the same song like that I usually only do it for maybe about an hour an hour and a half yeah any longer than that it's because I'm not really liking the take that I've done and I maybe want to go back and redo the thing but I usually go in and I'll sing four takes of the song and uh, we'll pick the best one and go from there I usually only spend maybe about two three hours there Mm. because you're on the clock as well you know you're kind of like right you know I usually know what I'm doing by that point yeah so it's just a case of going in doing quite a few takes usually the second third take is the take that I'm starting to sound right it it takes a bit of time to warm up Um, even if you warm up before in the house it's it's not the same as when you're standing in front of the microphone and it's like right 
time to get this right. So how do you feel then about um, tonally now, the, the change from the previous album to, to the new one? I definitely think there's been a change. I, I actually, I like my vocals better on this album because if you listen to the two albums side by side, the way that I had mixed the vocals in to the previous album, they're in that place that I would call in the pocket where the vocals are just right in on the edge of that line where a volume, because it's hard to describe, but on this album, I would say my vocals have been mixed in in a much more pop kind of way. They're very present. They're very upfront. They're right out in front, and you can definitely tell that that's them. Whereas with the previous album, I think the vocals were maybe a little bit more blended in with the rest of the instrumentation, which is fine. I like that. But for this album, I had a few different limitations for the album. Just like in the previous album, I I like to set kind of weird sort of limitations when I'm doing a project. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of them for this one was that I wanted the vocals to be very clear and present and upfront, like pop kind of sounding. Are those limitations ever like particular set of instruments? Yeah, I will deliberately decide on only using a certain type of sounds. It can sometimes it can be song to song, but usually I, I have a certain thing in mind for the album and go from there. So the previous album I used a lot of analog sounds and there's very little digital sounds. The only tracks that had digital sounds was really end of summer. Mm-hmm. All the rest of the tracks were all very analog sounding, but with this album, limitations wise I just didn't want to do something that sounded sort of like quintessentially synthwave or retrowave or whatever. I, I think I was aware, how can I put it, that the, there's a lot of people that come out within the scene and they just sound like another Time Cop or another The Midnight mm. or Carpenter Brute. Like The sound can end up being quite diluted because it's like, ah, oh, that sounds like this. Ah, oh, that sounds like that. And it's for me, I like to try and do something a little bit different and every time I do a song it's I try and approach it from a perspective of doing something that's not really been done maybe within the scene so with this album I I was listening to a lot of the stuff that I grew up with like Pet Shop Boys New Order Italo Disco that type of music Mm -hmm. so those are the main influences for this album mostly Tears for Fears as well I love them but I, I deliberately tried to avoid things which sounded I guess like scene sounding music right just like that track Control it's very different from me that was the first track I wrote for this album and it was kind of weird because I went through a bit of a strange phase so after the album California finished it was great because I had this wonderful reaction to it and I'd never experienced that kind of thing before it was very humbling and overwhelming I had that moment of being really excited like oh that's amazing wow I've never had this before but then very quickly what creeped in was a shit how am I going to do this all over again Mm -hmm. is what I write going to be as good I just felt overwhelmed with pressure that I've never had that either where I felt under pressure people were saying oh when have you something new coming out and you know any new singles are you doing an album and I was just like I don't know Mm -hmm. I don't know so Control was kind of the first track I did which was my way of uh, drawing a new line in the sand of this is something that I've never done before. It's an, it's a completely different sound. It doesn't sound, I guess, typically... I don't know, it's... Uh, you probably be able to describe it better than me as a as a listener. Yeah, well, as people know, uh, explaining music is one of my talents. Hmm. I Oftentimes I just say things are good, and that's what I'm going to do now. Uh, but you know what? Why don't we just let the listeners decide by listening to another track, hmm. and then they can write in... 
to Beyond Synth P.O. Box. Um, <laughs> but no, we're going to listen to this track. This is uh, Crystal Ships. Mm, yeah. So this is another good one. This is, uh, well, they're all good songs, so we're going we're gonna to listen to a bunch of them today, man. And yep. we're going to listen to Crystal Ships by Michael Oakley.
And that was Michael Oakley with the track Crystal Ships. And I'm here with Michael Oakley right now in mm. studio. Yes. Crystal Ships is probably that's probably my my personal favourite off of the album. Maybe it's... You wanna have a fight? <laughs> my, my, mine's control. Let's fight. They're very different tracks. Uh, <laughs> I, like I say, all the songs I write are are, are all true stories, and uh, I think Crystal Ships is probably the most personal track I've written. It's uh, when I was younger, I was fifteen. One of my best friends died, and uh, the song's all about that, and just about childhood. You feel like you're invincible when you're when you're a child. You feel like Peter Pan, and that you're never going to grow up, and and that. Yeah, you see your parents and older people, but you're not going to be like that. And you throw caution to the wind. And it's all about that kind of period of your life as as well as, you know, I, I have these moments where I wonder what my life would be like if he was still around. And when when you kind of lose somebody that you loved, that's a bereavement. Initially, you have the kind of, oh, why did this have to happen? That's just shit. And, you know, and, you know, I just feel like there's this big void, uh, you know, there's something missing. But as you go older, it kind of gets replaced with a, you know, what would my life be like? Would we still be friends? You know, would they have got married? How would we be? What would we be doing right now? How would I be a different person in life? if this hadn't happened you know there's all these sort of other things so I, I guess that's the, the the kind of reference you know or, or you know will I get to see that person again or are we crystal ships just passing by it's that kind of thing is, is that it there's different ways of that experience sort of happening so like you can lose someone abruptly mm. but then for me like I've never I've not had a close friend die but the older you get sometimes you have like slow deaths Oh, it's yeah, like, you yeah. know, where you start to drift or you start to realize like, oh, now in this year, we're very different people now. Oh, and, yeah, and definitely. Then, and then so you can have that same experience. And I don't know which one is like, I mean, obvi- obviously we don't want people to die, but, you know, so, but at, in one way, like it cements where that person exists in your nostalgia. Yeah, of where course. Where it's like, this was, this was the joy of, of being young and stuff. And then sometimes there's this kind of like, it's just sort of like a mild sort of depressing feeling of just that the person's still around, but you just don't, you know, you just drifted. And like, I mean, the closest thing for me, like I've, I I have like a friend who was like a friend and and as a kid who has a mental illness now. And Mm. so like is not the person who was, you know? Yeah. And so in a way it's kind of that similar feeling of just like, wow, like there's this person and they're still there, but they're not there and so do i mourn this as if the person's gone because you have that feeling but then it's not correct because the person's still around so like you shouldn't i shouldn't have this feeling but i do yeah and and in some ways that can be worse i mean i guess it's a weird thing to sort of talk about like just like (laughs) whose grief is worse man let's have a fucking grief battle i mean we've all experienced it i mean i think we've all had who hasn't had somebody, I guess, that they love that died, whether it's a family member or what. But it's a strange one, I think, when it's someone that's a friend because you you expect it of, of older people and older generations because mm-hmm. you accept that's the cycle of life and one day that'll be me. But when I had that, that happen, my mother died when I was 27 and then another one of my best friends died as well. And it's been a sort of thing that's kind of came up and... Every time that happens, it's like it snowballs. Whenever something like that happens, I'm reminded of the previous deaths. It's like that's the weight of that on top of it. Right, right, right. So, you know, Crystal Ships is mostly about, you know, my friend from when I was a kid. But there's elements of, like, my mother in there as well, because it's what would my life be like if these people were still in my life? Mm -hmm. I guess I'll never know. (laughs) But I guess it sort of keeps you 
I mean, it, it's nice to have a healthy uh, understanding of mortality, you know, like maybe you have like a lot more fun, you know, when, if you, because to me, like I haven't, I haven't had a lot of those sorts of experiences. Like my parents are still around. Yeah. Um, you know, friends, parents, like that's like the closest thing right now is like, yeah, yeah. friends, parents who are passing away. And if, and if they're people who I liked a lot, I'm just like, oh, you know, that's sad. Like a, a, a friend of mine who I was close friends with in like public school, like his, his dad just passed away and I always really liked his dad. Yeah. And he had this, this awesome smoky laugh because the dude smoked like so many <laughs> fucking cigarettes. Like, and, but his laugh was amazing. Like I love smoky laughs. And so you have these little things that you remember. And I guess like the younger you are, the more those, you know, those, those just weird memories, like where you remember sort of like blips of things. It's like, it's not so much whole experiences. It's like, I remember the smell of that person's house, you know, like, Uh, I remember you know, like this and that, or that it's, it's, so it's fun. But I guess that's the whole appeal of, of nostalgia in this scene and stuff, I guess, is sort of those little fragments of things we remember and then trying to conjure up uh, music that feels like what you remember that's how I find this scene is. It's almost like the, a lot of the music isn't necessarily stuff that would have existed in the time. Like, it's referencing retro stuff, but it's not like music that would have been made back then. But when you listen to it, it takes you back there. Yeah, there's a there's very much a, a romanticism, I think, for that. But you're right. You know, I listen to a lot of that type of music that's out. You know, the Midnight and Time Cop, I mentioned them earlier, and that particular sound really does lend itself to a really kind of nostalgic, romantic thing. It's sort of strange. But the testament to that, again, I guess, is that point I was making about it spawns a lot of copycats when something comes out and is, it has such a reaction with people. People want that our musicians want to tap into that and, and create something like that themselves. I get it when you want to, you know, you're like, I want in on this and I want to create as well. But it's a mindset I've never quite understood where people, they like an artist. And so like, I'll see them like ask questions of them, like on Twitter or whatever. Mm. be like, what are the, you know, exact sounds you use? You know, like what's this <laughs> and this, uh, you know, what's the BPM and all this stuff? Where it's like, all right, so your mission is just to make a thing that literally already exists? I mean, like, what is... There's two ways to look at this. One, if that's how someone has to get started to find their own voice, you know, like, you need a kickstart. That's, like, what presets and all these things can do. Like, there's shortcuts to get started, and then if you have to make an album that's derivative to then find your sound afterwards that's fine that that happens in lots of different art like whether it's you know movies or comedy these things where like people put out a thing and they're sort of just imitating the things they like and then they find themselves somewhere and so that's that's okay Hmm. i guess it's just weird if that's what someone continues to do like if there's an artist out there who like yeah several albums in are still just doing like perturbator you know and it's just like well now what i think it's that thing called fake it till you make it i mean we all do it don't get me wrong i mean uh when i was I can think of all of the main people that I was so inspired by that I took a nod to. And when I was a kid, I loved, you know, like Pet Shop Boys and New Order and Tears for Fears, Depeche Mode. And I did sit at home and literally try and recreate their songs. Mm. It was my way of sort of learning how to do what they did and then try and do it myself. And you sort of take on what you learn from that is what elements of that that really stimulate you. Mm. And even when I got a bit older, I was, and I still am. I mean, for me, my my biggest musical hero is Ulrich Schnauss. He is a, I'm a huge fan of his. And I had him on the yeah, show. He is a genius. I, I honestly don't think there's anybody currently out there that's doing anything with a synthesizer in the way he can. That's mm. there's a there's a guy that can make a synthesizer talk. And uh, I, I was obsessed with trying to recreate that sound, and I couldn't. The thing is, I could do it with Depeche Mode and New Order. I could recreate that sound. 
I could never ever really fully recreate that Ulrich sound and that, that's a testament to that and then as as I got ingrained in the scene the, the, the music that I was really inspired by was you know obviously the Midnight FM 84 and I studied their music to sort of for me figure out what was the elements of it that I really connected with mm. when I created Turn Back Time in the music of that that there's a little bit of a nod to it's like a little bit of a tribute to the Midnight I even sent it to Tim and I said listen you know I've made this song Stylistically wise, it's a bit of a tribute to you guys because I, I, you know, I love the Midnight and mm. especially Endless Summer and Days of Thunder. Those, those two are untouchable albums. Yeah, no, they are pretty good. But look, man, let's listen to some cool Michael Oakley. Enough of these fucking Woo! jokers. Uh, listen, we're gonna listen to uh, Left Behind. Ooh. And uh, speaking of sort of Pet Shop Boys vibes, I think I was I was picking some up in this one. Oh, but it's good. It's fun. Absolutely. So this is uh, Left Behind by Michael Oakley.
And that was Left Behind by Michael Oakley. And I'm here with Michael Oakley right now in studio for the second time in Mm. so many months. Indeed. That's a nice thing when people sort of live locally is they can just sort of show up. Like a soap opera. Yeah, exactly. You can be like the the villain who like mm. pops in every now and again. Or I can be the villain. That's okay. I don't mind. Mm. Well, last time I was talking about the band that I used to be in, this track, Left Behind, that was the song that I recorded with my band, you know, like 12 years ago. Yeah, boy. It was the only song from that period that I wanted to rework. So that's that's a, an absolute nod to Italo disco music, early Pet Shop Boys. Um, I love orchestral hits. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, those kind of Trevor Horn records, like Frankie Goes to Hollywood, and I love those big orchestral hits that they used to put in from the Fairlight. So I wanted to put that in there. And I also, I guess it was a bit of a challenge because there's been a few people that have tried to do Italo disco within the scene. You know, it's, it's been great. I think the only person that's really done it to a, a level that I think is great is Vincenzo Salvia well, he's got pizza in his blood man that dude oh he's great he's so talented mm. and uh, I just don't think anyone's taken that Italo disco sound and freshened it up and made it feel a bit modern mm-hmm. and I wanted to do that I wanted to take the best bits of it and give it a modern take so that left behind is my attempt at, at doing that yeah, yeah. <laughs> well before we get carried away here talk about doing some live shows because last year uh, when FM84 came to town you opened for them that's right, and uh, and you were you were fun. I enjoyed it. You had your guitar. Yeah, that was great. That was uh, a, an absolutely amazing experience. Um, a lot of people showed up. Like that was a good show. Oh, like, it was, it was a sellout, yeah, sellout yeah. show. That came about last minute. I'm friends with Ollie Ride, and actually, we've both been working together. I've been helping him work on his solo album. Mm. And he's been helping me with this album. So it, it was quite funny how that came about because it was literally from that. Yeah, I get the nod to come in last minute to play. And it was like one of those situations when you get asked, it's like, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, it's a complete yes. Even if I only had a day's notice, I, I would wish, still do it. Like not to throw any shade, but I kind of wish the midnight had grabbed a local opener. Yeah, I think I agree. I wish they had maybe got Dana to play you know that would have been that because i didn't know i didn't i didn't know their opener i think some people knew who they were because they were like from the states i think but they were just sort of they were kind of like djs and i felt like the the vibe was it was off it was not the it wasn't the right kind of vibe. yeah you opening for uh fm84 like it it worked it was like yeah and even for the other shows that they had um with the bad dreamers Mm. incredible act David's an incredible writer and it's amazing sound it just fits the right vibe and I, I honestly I, I, I really I was surprised the Midnight never you know got maybe some different kind of local well-known scene people for where mm. they were touring because Dana playing at that show for instance in Toronto would have been great because people would know who she is because they're the fan base from them I, I agree I, I just didn't think that the, the support acts style it, it was kind of like hot chip or something like that mm. it just it just didn't feel appropriate for the night yeah but it was a great night I mean we, we were at the midnight show and then Obviously, I caught up with you at the FM show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's fun to... It's, it's nice having this community start to build in, in this area. 
it's, it's only really been in the past like two years I think you know so this is like year seven of Beyond Synth now Was how many shows have you done well uh, that's a very good question I'll dub in my voice to say the correct number can I guess by the time this shows out mm. I'm going to guess probably 182 shows well actually this is episode number 186 <laughs> thank you yeah man but no, like, so that was a lot of fun. So where were you? Were you just like rehearsing at your place? Were you making your wife? Uh, well, she, she was at you work. Like you were a goof? That you are just with your guitar in the kitchen? Like, Yeah, with the curtains closed. When she was at work, I was, <laughs> I was rocking out with that and, mm. and, uh, and doing that. It was an incredible night. I, I've played a few shows. I played in Ottawa. I played with Dana Jean Phoenix in Ottawa. That was incredible. She's just out of this world. And and I played in Glasgow. I got, I got taken back home to play at the Outland show with uh, people like LeBrock. Mm. They were fantastic. Um, Time Cop was playing at it as well. Kallax was, was playing. All great guys. And uh, I was really excited. But I must say, I, I felt not nervous, but I felt very sort of it was a weird experience when I went on stage I felt like I was kind of having this outer body experience where I was watching myself play and I was just doing it Mm-hmm. because it was just so overwhelming. I've never played to a crowd of people that big before. Mm. I mean, that was like, well, there was 450 people that night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was great. I was wonderful, and it was great talking to everybody afterwards. And Ollie and Cole are fantastic, you know. It's, yeah. uh, they're super talented guys, and I was so happy that they asked me to do it. So <laughs> it was wonderful. Yeah, and no, it was a great show. Like, uh, Ollie's great. And I I mean, that was sort of the difference, like... Um, because with the, with the midnight, like the midnight had some good production going in there. Yeah, and that guy they got doing saxophone, like he's he's Sean, right? Like people were loving that, and so it was cool to see. And I like with because with the, with FM eighty four because they're doing it sort of themselves. Like that mm. tour was just sort of themselves, so it wasn't so much about like a light show as just that Ollie can really sort of. Uh, Oh, he's he, he can world carry class the stage. performer. Yeah, like he, yeah, so he's fun to watch. He's yeah. he's incredible. I first met Ollie two seventeen at the Los Angeles show at the Globe Theatre. We met very briefly. We just said a quick hello, and uh, I'm friends with the guitarist that plays for FM eighty four, Chris, and uh, he kind of put us in, in touch with each other. Ollie was in the middle of kind of making a, a solo album and he asked if I would if I would be interested in helping to produce it and mix most of it and and so we did like a one song trial out to see how it would work and and it was great we did uh, Overcome that was the first track he loved what I did with it and that was the start of a of our working relationship it was quite funny because he said oh you know I'll pay you to do it and I was like oh cool and I, I initially I think I was going to do that and then I said I'll tell you what look I won't charge you anything for doing this I'll work on your whole album no matter how many tracks it is to when it's finished and make sure you're happy with it and in return why don't you help me with my album mm-hmm. because I was also looking to obviously develop and I wanted to push and do something bigger and better than last time and all these one hell of a songwriter it's, there's a guy that's a professional songwriter all of my songs that I had written I would give to him and say look have a listen to this what do you think can you make this better you know mm. what do you think am I telling the story right and so that was what happened he has been helping me with my album I've been helping him with his and it's been great it's funny because I, th- I think most people probably would think with FM84 that Call does the music and Ollie's just the singer and does the lyrics which and he obviously does some of the musical elements with it but, but it's primarily Cole because he's the producer that kind of goes in so I think maybe there's this kind of uh, perception that Ollie would have 
different producers making music for him but he's a really great producer in his own right he's he he gave me full tracks that he had created and they mm. sounded great and i didn't really have to do much to a lot of the a lot of the songs right right right. and then when we were working on my stuff talking to him in skype and it would be like this sort of i guess a therapy session because i would tell him what the song was about and explain it and then he would be like mm, okay right and then he would go away and then come back with some lyrics for me or most of the time i think i gave my f- i gave him some lyrics to start with as starting blocks and he kept the crux of most of those ideas and then just sort of changed it and maybe changed things and, and came back and said what do you think of this and i would be like that's amazing that's great so it helped me break that paradigm i guess that, that um i think when you work by yourself like i do you can develop habits and those habits can really really work in your favor but after a while they become i guess cliches they become comfort zones and it can be hard to get out of that because it's you that's doing it so you need someone else to break that for you so i i really want it was great having ollie ollie came in at the, at the right time for me and and it helped me to kind of push out of that comfort zone and push into something new yeah yeah yeah. well let's fucking listen to another song how about that let's do it here's a track called rain by michael oakley
And that was Michael Oakley with the track Rain. And we're here in studio right now. We just talked a lot about Ollie Ride. Hmm. So let's talk more about you, man. This is this is your time. Yeah, well, Rain is about my kind of life in Glasgow and me wanting to kind of get away because at that time... Wait, are we talking about literal rain here? Um, Metaphorically speaking, you know, just when, you know, you just feel like the odds are against you and your, your back's against the wall. I had met my wife at that point and I had been away in Los Angeles and I had had a taste of what my life could be. And so when I came back to Glasgow and had to finish up working commitments and things like that, I was very frustrated. I was very unhappy and I wanted to get away and leave and obviously be with my wife Linda and because it was it was pretty shitty being away from her to be honest and we spoke every day but it's not the same as as being there with them and stuff so rain's all about that and just being unhappy with my life in Glasgow I guess well look man a lot of these songs seem to go into these sad sort of emotional places Hmm. so I want to perk this up here (laughs) and talk about Miami Vice because you're always going off to me about Miami Vice happy to I love Miami Vice it's my favourite TV show yeah Absolutely fantastic. I love Miami Vice. I uh, I just actually got the Blu-ray box set just not so long ago, which was really good. So do they look nice? Are they are they remastered? Yeah, they look great. Very sharp. Uh, the packaging's a little flimsy. All Blu-rays now, like, they're all, like, the recycled thing. And so, like, when you open it up, the actual box itself has, like, chunks missing that are sort of hidden by the yeah. by the uh, the sleeve or whatever. And it's, I don't know, it feels, um, it's not substantial. I like, I like the steel books. Yeah. You get a nice fucking steel book. Well, do you know, the reason why I bought the Blu-ray was because the DVD box set was literally all cardboard. Even the actual DVD boxes were cardboard. <laughs> even the DVDs. Uh, even the DVDs. It was just horrible, so I, I just paid the extra. I got the Blu-ray. I thought about it, because I, I can watch Miami Vice all the time and not get bored with it. I think it's just that aesthetic of the, the style, the music, the characters. The, it's just It's just such a great show. Do you have a Do you have a favorite episode? The episode called "Definitely Miami" from season two. That's one of, and I like "Out Where the Buses Don't Run." That's another episode from season two. But "Definitely Miami" has all the hallmarks of what you would probably call a, a classic episode. It's, right. the, it's the classic. Was that like five seasons? How many seasons is there? Five seasons. Uh, it's only really worth watching seasons one to three if you're a, if you're just a casual fan or a fan. If you're an obsessive fan, then you'd probably like obviously season four and bits of season five. Why? What, what happens to that show? I think I've only seen like random episodes. Like it's just one yeah. of those shows that like I never like I I know what it is and I've probably listened to the music of the show. Because uh, mm. I think I have those on the computer, like the the soundtrack. So I don't know what happens to that show. Like, does it jump the shark at some point? Did- yeah, I, basically the show came about because they wanted Michael Mann to kind of give television uh, a movie sort of feel. So Miami Vice is the first television program that was given, you know, Hollywood big budget treatment consistently throughout the show. So Michael Mann came in and he would do things like he would have the the sports cars driving at night and he he had trucks that were filled with water and he would pave the streets with water so at night the lights would reflect off of the off of the road and you get that wonderful gleam mm-hmm. little things like that he would come in and give the the show high production values but he he was on board for the first two seasons and then he left through season three i think it was and went and did crime story so what happened was the writers that were involved in the show it got taken over by dick wolf mm. who did law and order 
So you can see that the the storylines have changed and there's more of a kind of ripping from the headlines of the newspaper sort of storylines. That was his style. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, they just stopped giving the show as big a budget that they that they were giving it and you can sort of see that. You can also see that the cast members like Don Johnson were getting fed up. Yeah. He was going through the motions, he was under contract, but really he wanted to do movies. And you just you can just see the show sort of winding down. Yeah. So does, season one to three is the best. Does it have does that show have a last episode? Yeah, the last episode free fall it's a great episode actually it's a great ending very sad at the end music when i look back at a lot of the shows i liked very rarely do they have like finales like proper mm. ones like they always just got canceled like it's like season seven and they got canceled and there's no ending and i've been thinking about that a lot of how to properly end a show because to me i think like shows are like uh books you're spanning so much time that the mistake I see a lot of finales make, like especially when they build up to the fact like we're going to have like an actual finale, like they're not canceled, they're ending, they're going to have their final episode. I'm very rarely satisfied by final episodes of TV Mm. shows. And I think because they always try and pack too much into the finale because a TV show is like a book. And so it's the story that's been spread out over like, you know, hundreds of hours, but then they still want to end it like a movie. Yeah. Where they go like, oh, and then it'll be like a little five minute like denouement at the end where the characters like say goodbye and drive away. And it's like, but if you've been following characters for like hundreds of hours, a five minute goodbye scene that would be totally satisfying in a movie to me doesn't work in a TV show. And like if I was making a TV show, I wouldn't do a final episode like it would always be about the final season. It would be Mm. like. Because, like, it, like, if you have a TV show and, like, the whole structure or the whole spine of the show is, like, the relationship of, you know, this guy and this lady or whatever, then I think, like, the final episode, you should have already dispensed with all the side characters. Like, they should get their plots, like, wrapped up in, like, you know, the penultimate episode or, like, you know, episodes during the final season so that the last episode you can devote, like, the whole one hour to the main thing. And then you sort of, like, wrap up. Yeah, I think that there's very few shows that um, that have done the ending right. Like, I used to really like 24 when it first came out. I always wish that almost that 24 got cancelled after its first season. That Season 1 was fantastic. That I wish season 1 was just this weird one-off thing because I think 24 could have gone down in history as like this, the ultimate cult TV show where there's this one weird season of a show that takes place over the course of a day and the problem was that they stretched it out over all these seasons then it became cartoonish it became an action movie. The first season was like thriller, thriller, thriller. yeah the first season is a thriller and then the following seasons became an action show. And then, yeah. and then he turned into an action hero. But the first season, it's like, it's got emotional weight. Like, he's crying all the time. It's hard for him to get through the day. Yeah. By the time you get to, like, the later seasons, he's having, like, a heart attack mid-season and, like, shocking himself back to life. And you're just like, what? Like, it's uh, not even... Ridiculous. It also, though, it became cliche because you knew there was going to be the mole who was inside the Yeah, like, the, 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 the structure... Department. The structure, like, because I, I love cliffhanger endings and stuff, but, like, after a while, it becomes, like, well, you're just waiting for what's the twist going to be, and then how are they going to reverse it? And But my point, like, with the end of season one, it was, you know, there's this plot, and, and Dennis Hopper has, like, kidnapped his daughter, and yeah. Nina, who works at twenty at the 
at 24 at, at CTU like you, you just found out she was bad uh-huh. so the final episode instead of having like all this sort of stuff to deal with the only thing was it was all building and then the last hour was just he rescues his daughter and then he goes back to the base to find out that that lady's evil and that was it like that's what the final hour was and so and he kills Dennis Hopper within the first like 20 minutes so the show starts he's got his van in front of their base and like that's where the episode started and it's just he gets out of the van he has this gunfight that spans like 20 minutes and then the rest of the show is him driving back to the base. And then as the show kept going, the finale started getting so packed with stuff. Uh-huh. And so it was like, it felt so unbelievable. Because I know in their heads are thinking, well, wouldn't it be exciting if every single character <laughs> has some sort of dangling plot thread that has to be resolved in the final episode? And then it just got stupid because it's just like, so these two are going to get hauled off to jail. And this guy's in the middle of having a heart attack. And the president's fucking like hanging from a string. And this building's about to blow up. Mm-hmm. And there's all this stuff. And you're just like... I don't believe that you guys solved this in an hour. <laughs> and and that's when I Wait, started... Tw- to, 24 yeah, and that's when I Yeah, and that's, I started to lose... That's when I started to lose interest was like at season two, the finale was like right before the finale, Jack has a, like a heart attack in a Jeep and like on top of all the problems that are happening, now he's got to like fucking revive himself from having like a heart... Like it was so stupid. And so I feel that way about a lot of finales is like there's just... Even Breaking Bad, which I love... Mm. I still think they packed too much into that finale. It was unsatisfying. Lost. Well, Lost is unsatisfying for sort of a different reason. I think it's because they... <laughs> uh, it just... Uh, the people didn't really get closure. I think that's the same with Breaking Bad. There wasn't really closure with it. Well, see, what's tough is... Like, I rewatched like, the last scene and, like... It's still a cool episode of the show. He had this connection with Jesse for, like, five seasons... And, like, I would have liked to have seen an entire episode of them, you know, having a conversation, you know what I mean? But, like, really, like, their interaction in the final episode, and they hadn't even talked to each other in, like, I forget how many episodes it was that Jesse was, like, out of the picture, like, he was kidnapped by those evil bikers, but, like, you know, time had passed, and then... You know, you just really wanted to like, man, I can't wait till these guys get together and like resolve this shit. And like, really, it was like two lines of dialogue. And even though like it made sense what they said and, you know, their interaction with each other, it was like, I wanted more. I just wanted to see more of them together for a few more minutes. And so it's it's tough when you have like five years of a show and then it boils down to like people say two lines. Same with like the last season of Game of Thrones, man. It was the mm. same fucking thing. That show was all stretched out and you know they'd have these big long conversations and then the last season they they had to like fast forward the show and so all these characters who hadn't seen each other in like six years they get together in the same room and they have like two lines and they move on and I'm <laughs> like what? Like if this was an old episode like they would have stopped for like half an hour to have like a conversation with some like nameless character and now that like all the characters matter and they're together again mm. you just go like these guys haven't been together in six years. I can't wait. And like some of them, they didn't even have an interaction. And it was like, what? Like, I, anyway, that's. Well, the, <laughs> do you know what's even worse than that is when you get a TV show that you're watching and you really enjoy it. Like for me, it was Limitless, the TV show. Give me that pill. Yeah. So, that my, pill. so I loved that Limitless show. And then there was another show years ago called Flash Forward. Did you ever watch that? Yes. That was when there that was the big lost thing, right? Where like yeah. all shows were trying to come up with like high concept like heroes. Yeah. Stuff like that. And then what happens is it gets cancelled after like one or two seasons and you don't get anything. It's like I've just invested my time in this and they've just cancelled it and it's just been a waste of my time. Yeah. That's even worse. I hate that. I love the Limitless show. That was yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, look, I want to listen to another song, man. Okay. This is the duet you did with Dana. Oh. It's called Now I'm Alive. Yes. So let's listen to that, man. This is Now I'm Alive by Michael Oakley, featuring Dana Jean Phoenix.
And that was Now I'm Alive, featuring Dana Jean Phoenix by Michael Oakley. And I'm here with Michael Oakley in studio. We're talking about TV finales. Mm. So how did this come about, this collaboration? I have wanted to do a track with Dana for quite a while. And I, I had always envisaged it being like a, a kind of George Michael, Whitney Houston sort of duet type track. Because mm. um, I, I love Dana. I think Dana's, for me, is one of the best singers on the scene. She could sing anything and sound just world class at it. She's just an incredible singer and performer. And I thought, you know what? I've never heard I've never heard Dana sing like a classic sort of power ballad or just like in a ballad track like that. So that was where it started. I thought, you know, I'll do a duet. I'll see if she's into it. So worked on the track and then sent her it over and she wrote the lyrics for it and sent me it back with her vocal and it sounded fantastic. And at that point, I then had to go in and record my vocals, but we had to sit on it for a little while because I was working on other stuff and, and eventually I went in and did my vocals. And I think there's always a kind of uh, hesitation because you're like, right, I wonder how our voices will marry up together. And, you know, yeah. not everybody duetting together can sound good. So I was like, okay, I really, please, I really hope this is going to sort of translate well on the other side. So I did the vocals and it sounded great, the two of us singing together. And yeah, it was it was just a really wonderful, like, musical bucket list for me to kind of have Dana sing on a track with me. Mm. She nails it. She's just fantastic on that track. You know? it'll, it'll be fun if you guys can ever uh, do it live. Yeah, I would love to do that. There might be an opportunity later this year in Toronto at some point. We'll see. Well, that'd be cool, man. So what uh, what else is going on in, in the in the life of Michael Oakley, man? We've been talking for a while, so we can probably sort of wind this one mm-hmm. down. I'm just sort of uh, enjoying the album. It's taken a long time to get it together. I wanted to take my time over it and get it right. And now I'm going to take a bit of a... A break from that. I'm going to work with other people, maybe do a few collaborations just to get like out of comfort zones. You know, I think once you've finished an album, you've got all these comfort zones and habits that you've built up that have formed the kind of the foundations of the album. So I need to knock all of that down and break that and, and start again like Lego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't really know what I'm going to do next personally for my own stuff. I, I feel like that I'd spend... Scatting. S- do you want to do scatting? I'm a scat man. Yeah, that's right. Just do that song. <laughs> <laughs> just do an album of that song like seven times, like just slightly remixed. I love Scat Man, John. His message is universal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Scat Man can do it, so can you. That's true. What a f- silly song that is. <laughs> yeah. I bought that when I was a kid. It's a great track. Is there other songs or is it literally just that song? Scat Man's World. Is that a thing? There's like, a whole album. Really? Mm-hmm. Is that the best song? Yeah. Now I need to fucking listen to that. I didn't know there was anything else besides that. <laughs> that was around about that time when there was all those tracks coming out like that, you know, like Cotton Eye Joe and stuff like that. Dance music was running out of ideas. What are you talking about? Did you ever hear the hamster dance? Now that's a fucking song. Here we go. <laughs> Cotton Eye Joe, the female vocal in that song is horrible. Uh huh. It is insanely bad. And I forgot all about it, but we have it on a CD in the car, like the kids sometimes like it. The female vocal is 
so terrible that's just like how the fuck did this make it on like this is back in the day when like you know you'd have to be in a recording studio this isn't like some like bedroom producer like that lady had to go somewhere sing into a microphone and someone had to be like we got it (laughs) that was great (laughs) come and listen It's so fucking terrible. My first uh, tape I ever bought was Two Unlimited. Was it No Limits? Mm. What was the first one? It was the second one. No, no limits. We'll reach for the sky. No ballet too deep. No mountain too high. You're still singing the song that you didn't buy. What was the one no, after? That, no, that, no, that's the one I bought. was right. No Limits. Because the first album was... Tribal Dance. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because the first album is the one they play at all the hockey games. The fucking... Ding, ding, yeah, ding, yeah, ding, yeah. ding, 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 Y'all ready for this? That is literally the song, right? Yeah. Da, 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 da. Fucking, yeah. So 2 Unlimited was my first tape. My first CD was Depeche Mode Music for the Masses. Hmm. Remember that was like a time where like... Again, it was before the internet. I feel like I discovered Depeche Mode in the 90s. A friend of the family gave me some tapes... Mm-hmm. They said, like, oh, like, I listened to a bit. Like, oh, you'd like Depeche Mode. And they gave me Violator and uh, my favorite Depeche Mode album, which is... Ultra. No, this was before Ultra. Ultra was another CD I bought. It was it was Violator and... Songs of Faith and Devotion. No, I remember I bought Songs of Faith and Devotion when I was on a trip in Thailand. They had the... Black Celebration. Black Celebration. Black Celebration is my favorite album. It's a great album. So then I, then that's when I discovered Depeche Mode was around that time. And so every time we'd like go to the city, because I lived in a small town, so we'd go to the city and I'd go to a record shop and I would discover like old Depeche Mode albums. And that's the only way I could discover them because they didn't play it on the radio where I lived. They played like fucking country music and shit. Then I picked up some of those weird like those B-side single ones. I guess like the 12 inch where they just yeah take those thing and just loop it for two minutes and every song always started with just like and it's like two minutes of that and just like <laughs> i never i never enjoyed those mixes because i was like what the fuck is this like it's just they just took every element and just let it play for like a minute and then they would add in another element and like yeah. that's the mix i didn't mind that because for me as a musician it was great to hear all those broken up elements that's okay that's a good point so that yeah. was good for like when we were talking about faking it till you make it mm-hmm. hearing all those instruments on their own you're like oh that's what that's doing and i would try and recreate that yeah sometimes there's a thing your ear hears and you don't realize that it's like two things in concert with each other you hear it in the song go like oh i like that part goes like but then you realize it's like it was like just one thing was just going beep 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 and then the other yeah. thing was going but together it does this thing yeah and then when you hear them separated you go like ah oh, I get it first cassette I ever bought was Erasure Pop 20 first hits mm-hmm. the greatest hits was fantastic first CD I bought I can't think what that was what the first CD I ever bought was I can't think what that was my mind is is not working. It looks like we're going to have to turn back time. Ah, <laughs> something, something. <I> don't, <laughs> it's your song. You, you know the lyrics. Sing me a little song before you go. Which one? You got a nice voice. Make something up. Well, look, dude. We'll wind this down. It's nice to see you again. Always a pleasure. Thank um, you. It's, it's cool when people are in the zone. I like doing these shows uh, in person. We're down to earth, man. Just fucking scatting, chatting. Yeah, and we don't have that horrible low bandwidth. You know, when you get that and someone's Skype connection's not so great and it's like, ugh. 
How about uh, before we go? Last year you did a you had a remix album and all these people uh, sent mm. in songs and I, I think I mentioned it. Did, did my judging factor in? Cause I oh feel yeah, like of you- course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was actually such a crazy competition because initially I didn't think that that many people were going to send something in. I mean, in the end there was thirty submissions. Yeah. I, because I was one of the judges on a, a Dreamwave compilation thing, and I think I, I was going in expecting a bit more because listening to the remixes that the people did for you, you know, a lot of them are good. Oh, they were great. That's- yeah, you know, and, and w- in comparison, like I did this Dreamwave one where like half of them, they just didn't do anything for me, but I felt like with the, with yours, I felt like I was listening and like they were all immediately like, oh, this one's strong, this one's strong, this one's strong. Like, whereas I didn't have that same experience. Like I listened with this other competition, like there was a few songs in that that I really liked that stuck out to me. But with, with the competition for you, I felt like, you know, the majority of them were pretty good. Well, I, I had deliberately for the remix competition, I only gave my vocals. I didn't give them any other elements of the, mm-hmm. of the track. And I deliberately did that because I wanted people to use their ingenuity and come up with something unique mm-hmm. rather than rely on what I had done. Yeah. So it was incredible to hear different people's takes on on that song. Initially I was only going to put one of the remixes on the album and because there was so many submissions and so many submissions at that high quality level I ended up putting two on the album in the end. Yeah, yeah. Which was brilliant. I, I even now I feel like there's a there's still a couple of remixes that I can remember, which were f- absolutely brilliant. That, n- that obviously didn't make it onto the album in the end, but I still think of now and think, man, they were really great remixes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how about we end? Do you want to end on pick a favorite, or no? Pick, pick don't pick a favorite. Pick one. It doesn't have to be even that song, just because the remix album they they did all the tracks, right? So do you have one that you? Actually, do you know what? I would probably if there was one remix off of that album that I would pick that I, I, I really loved was probably the Michael Cassette remix of Rabbit in the Headlights. I loved that. That, to me, it was one of those situations where when I asked him, I expected him to say no. And I, it was more I was just throwing it out there and I didn't expect him to come back and say, yeah, I'll, I, I'll do that. And then he did. And I was like, okay, that's that's, that's really, really huge because Michael Cassette's fantastic. So he's an absolutely brilliant artist. But that's the one remix that stuck with me that I was like, wow, what a take on that song. Well, let's fucking listen to it, man, and then we'll say goodbye. How about that? Let's do it. All right, man. Well, this is Rabbin in the Headlights by Michael Oakley, the Michael Cassette remix.
And that was Rabbit in the Headlights by Michael Oakley, the Michael Cassette Remix. A lot of Michaels in there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good song. Like it was a, it's a, it was a good, uh, it was a fun project for you. Yeah, I kind of had the idea for a little while. I, I got asked to remix one of Scandroid's tracks uh, for his album, so I, I remixed his track Afterglow. That kind of got me thinking, you know, why not? Why not just do a, a remix album and do a competition? You know, that'd be that'd be fun. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll see if we get a reaction. I didn't think it was going to get that much of a reaction, but uh, when the album was finished, I just put it up for people to be able to just have it for free. You know, so mm-hmm. you know these guys have lent their talents to me and you know they haven't charged me for doing it they just have done this goodwill gesture so how can i possibly profit from that yeah so put it up for free so if anyone wants to get that album they can grab it for free off Bandcamp. go grab that album it's not free in itunes free in itunes not free not (laughs) might not be free yeah this is me paying close attention to what you're saying well look man uh, lovely to see you again likewise always a pleasure go make some more music i know you said that's not the plan immediately but uh that's what i tell people just uh just go back in the goddamn studio and make another goddamn song i'm probably gonna do an ep i think uh that's what i've been toying with at the moment for the next thing it just takes so long to do a, an album yeah it's it's a long time and I, i'm not the kind of person that will just sort of like wake up and go right let's do a track today you know it's i find that i have to have something to say and be in a certain mood so i think i'll probably do another ep just like california i'm probably yeah. going to call it toronto yeah do it Songs about snow and Tim Horton. <laughs> Donuts getting stuck to the fucking rapper. Yeah, Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky. What else? I live here and I don't even know. CN Tower, man. <laughs> it's the CN... No, I got nothing. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't even finish the word. Yeah. Anyways, look, man, you have a lovely day. And you. And we'll fucking... Uh, we'll talk again. Indeed. Give me give me like a, a an upbeat goodbye. Okay. Bye. <laughs> he left. <laughs> ah. All right, and that was my conversation with Michael Oakley. Always fun to chat with Michael Oakley. I like his accent. So look, I hope you guys have a lovely day and a lovely week. Don't forget to check out the Facebook page for Outland. Toronto 2019 because there's going to be a show and if you're in the area you might want to get a ticket and come out and also don't forget to check out Retro Revolutions he just put out a new video so we'll uh, we'll talk to him in the coming weeks about uh, that project he's working on Retro Revolutions on YouTube lots of lots of stuff and uh, of course we will never forget the immortal Chris Salaya Lane and if you would like to support Beyond Synth go to patreon.com slash beyondsynth or you can go to beyondsynth.com and uh, click the donate button. That's There's two very easy ways. And now, my friends, that is the end of this week's show. So tune in next time to Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. Hello, waffles. You want waffles? Are you saying yellow waffles? Hello, waffles. Do you like waffles? Black table. That is a black table. That is correct. We're just going to point out the colors of things? Black. (laughs) That's black. It is black, I know. What color are your pajamas? Pink. (laughs) What color are my pajamas? Pink. I'm not not wearing pink pajamas. Pink. (laughs) 
right, get out of here. All right, see everybody next week. Thanks for If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting it by going to patreon.com slash beyondsynth or visit beyondsynth.com and click on support the show. Beyond Synth is made possible by the awesome Patreon supporters. Don't forget to follow Beyond Synth on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Live broadcasts can be heard weekly on Twitch at twitch.tv slash beyond underscore synth. Have a lovely week.